1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's bow our heads and pray. We'll pray for those who are in their own groups and we'll pray for ourselves as well as we listen this morning. Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for your word given to us. And Lord, as we come to explore it now, uh, as the children explore it in their groups, as we explore it together, Father, we pray that we'd know your help in understanding. We'd know your inspiration and insight. Father, may this not just be a a part of a regular service, but Lord, we pray that we would hear the, the living God speaking to us through his living word, by his living spirit. Father, we pray for Alan as he shares that the the time in preparation, the, the living in this passage would come alive as he shares with us and that he would know that, that humble confidence of, of belonging to you and serving you in this way. Father, we give ourselves to you as we listen in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I must confess, when I first read these five verses, I thought, where am I going? <laughs> uh, we're following through this, this book written by the Apostle Peter to Christians scattered throughout what is present-day Turkey. And then my eyes alighted on the first phrase in the New International Version of verse 8, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. In the earlier part of this chapter 3, chapter 2 and 3, the Apostle Peter has been referring to different groups of people. He's written to masters, he's written to slaves, he's written to husbands, he's written to wives. And now he's saying, finally, all of you. So it's a message not just for a section of the congregation, but a message for each one of us, the importance of living in harmony with one another. And so I came to consider that actually Simon Peter was introducing an absolutely vital subject for human relationships, whether that be human relationships at home, at work, or more especially relationships within the church. That's where I've had my bulk of experience over the last 45 years or so, serving as a local pastor, then as a national overseer for the network of churches for 17 years before coming here. And when you work with people closely in a congregation like a church, you discover at times there are misunderstandings, and there are tensions, there are stresses, and it isn't always that easy to live, each one of us, to live in harmony with one another. And yet it's a real priority for us here at CFM. 
this is a church where we want to, to be part of a harmonious congregation. So much so that if you attend one of the preparation groups run by Pastor Christie or Ian, in preparation for becoming a member or a partner in this church, they will be very clear explaining to you what we actually believe about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what we actually believe about the Bible as God's uniquely inspired, trustworthy word. We'll share with you what we believe about human beings who were created in the image of God but are fallen and spoiled and marred. We'll share with you what we believe about how it's possible to be forgiven and changed and transformed through the grace of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. We'll share with you about what God's plan is for his church worldwide and what God's plan is for this church. Then we'll share with you about the last things, what's going to happen in the future when Jesus comes again. All those things we'll share with you. We'll also share with you how we function as a church, how we make decisions, who makes the decisions, and what part we play in that decision-making process. And at the end of all that, we'll ask the question, do you accept these beliefs and standards? And will you, here's the phrase, endeavor to live in harmony with them? Endeavoring to live in harmony. Now, why is it so important for a congregation of people to live in harmony one with another? I say it's vitally important for this reason. If we want to experience God's blessing as a church, we must live in right relationship with one another. Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And that little psalm concludes with this phrase, there the Lord commands the blessing even life forevermore. Why do some churches die? Why do they not have life forevermore? Because they fail to live in unity one with another. We have been a congregation over the years that have been incredibly blessed in so many practical ways. I could recount them, but nostalgia isn't for today. Having been so blessed, we don't want to be part of a congregation that misses out on God's future blessing by allowing lack of harmony and disunity to enter our church. But what does it mean then to live in harmony with one another? It doesn't mean that we've all got to have exactly the same views. It doesn't mean we've all got to express things in exactly the same ways. We've got to, our two oldest granddaughters are at the moment in Belgium. Uh, they're part of a, a band and a, they're playing instruments in an orchestra and they're singing as part of a trip from the girls' grammar school at Lancaster to, uh, to Belgium. And you realize straight away that when you go to their performances that there's a lot of different instruments in those arrangements and there's a lot of different notes being played. But it isn't discord, it's harmony. And then they'll be singing in the choir as well in these performances. And again you realize that there are different parts to play in a choir but to have harmony there needs to be some differences of perspective but all singing from the same tune all singing from the same score. So within the Christian church, if we are to live in harmony, yes, we allow different perspectives and ideas. In fact, people have commented to me several times, 
it seems rather strange here at CFM that we've got people who've got very strong views about different issues, but yet we seem to be able to live in harmony. That's because it's a very high priority for us to live in harmony with one another. But, but how can you live in harmony with someone you don't agree with? Well, we can't unless we adopt the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul writes, Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Where he said that, Be like-minded, being one in spirit and purpose. Consider others better than yourself. Yeah, as we think about others and not about ourselves, we have the ability to begin to live in harmony one with another. So, what can we learn today then from the pen of the Apostle Peter about this important subject of being either a family, a work environment, or a church where we manage to live in harmony with one another? So, let's read the passage again. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8 to 12, just five verses. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers and sisters. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because this, to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So what have we within these five verses First of all, the Apostle Peter helps us to understand what attitudes build harmony. In fact, the original title for this talk was Attractive Attitudes, and they're here coming in verse verse 8. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers and sisters. Be compassionate. Be humble. If we want to be part of a harmonious group, whether at work or home or church, these are the attitudes we should foster and develop in our lives. We need to be those who are sympathetic to others who maybe are going through a tough time. We may not face the challenges they face, and it might be easy for us to judge the, the decisions that they make and think they've got it wrong. But we need to pause and be sympathetic. We need to love one another because we're part of the same family. We have been born again. We've got the same father, the same savior. We're part of a community of believers. And yes, we need the different perspectives and skills and approaches and gifts to function as a family that has all the attributes that we need within the Christian church. Be sympathetic. Love one another as family. Be compassionate. Be humble. I was looking for some uh, illustration of humility. What, What does it mean to be humble? And I came across this story. 
When Queen Elizabeth was just nine years old, she was taken by her grandmother, Queen Mary, to one of the big department stores in London. Needless to say, a crowd of people gathered around the department store when they heard that the Queen and her granddaughter were in the store. Queen Mary took quite a time shopping, as adults do, and children are always very enthusiastic about the time it's taking, and so Elizabeth was impatient. She was impatient to get out, and she said, I just want to get out so that people can see me. Grandma took Princess Elizabeth out the back door, away from the crowds, and when they got back to the palace, she said this, England loves its rulers because they serve, not because they rule. Your loveliest crown is not made of gold and precious stones, but of humility. Seems to me, Princess Elizabeth heard that message. Because she served with humility right through her life. Humility is a wonderful thing. It's not promoting ourselves. It's not putting ourselves first. It's putting other people first. It's thinking about what they feel, not what I feel. It's how this decision will impact them, not just how it impacts me. In fact, I realize that these attractive attitudes, sympathy, love, compassion, humility, are most clearly displayed in the character of Jesus. Hebrews tells us that he is able to sympathize with our weakness because he's been tempted in all points as we are, yet he is without sin. When we turn to Jesus Christ in our prayers and to our Father, we're talking to someone who knows exactly how we feel and what we're going through. He is sympathetic. He was someone who certainly loved. John chapter 13 tells the story of the, the Last Supper, and it says this amazing phrase, that Jesus loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. And then he washed their feet, and they did I don't cross. Yet Jesus was sympathetic. He also was amazingly loving, compassionate. Yeah, when he saw the crowds were like harassed like sheep without a shepherd, he was moved with compassion and he felt, I need to do something, so he fed 5,000. Humble? Yet he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. So in other words, if we want to be part of a harmonious congregation or part of a harmonious family, we need to be more and more like Jesus. More sympathetic, more loving, more compassionate, more humble. These are the attitudes that build harmony, verse 8. So what destroys harmony, verse 9, which reads, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because of this, to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Tempting, isn't it, to retaliate when someone does something or says something that's hurtful? Oh, you say, well, I could tell you something. And you maybe think what you would tell them. And then hopefully you think again, and you think, no, I won't. I won't feed this fire. 
I won't put material on this fire because if I go back, hit, retaliate to them, they'll come back to me and it'll just get worse and worse and worse. If somebody is operating in a bad spirit, you know, they're angry, they're making amazing, terrible claims. If we're under pressure through their accusations, if we respond in like manner, we just feed that wrong spirit, we need to do exactly the opposite. It's the quiet word, the Bible says, that turns away wrath. It's hard to do, but we we need to respond in the way that Jesus responded to insults and injury. Just turn back a page in your Bible, if you have your Bible open in front of you, to chapter 2, verse 22. Jesus committed no sins, no deceit was found in his mouth, verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. How did he manage not to want to retaliate? How did he manage not to cry out, this is unjust, unfair? Because he realized that he wasn't the judge on that day, but there would come a day when the Father would judge. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And if you and I face insults and evil and we're tempted to try and make things right by hitting back, pause, you don't understand all the situation that the person that's attacking you has faced. There's only one who knows what's going on and they will face their judgment in the future. In the meantime, Trust God to overrule that situation. There's an interesting little passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. Let me set the scene for you. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in a place called Corinth. Now, the Corinthian church is not a very happy church. Uh, there's a bit of division in the church because they've got different preachers and the congregation has split as to which is the best preacher. We're really blessed here at CFM because we've got fantastic preachers in Christian Ian. But this was a church that was really split. Some said, Paul's the best preacher. Others said, no, no, Peter's much better. Others said, no, Apollos is better because he's really quite intellectual, quite learned. And the Apostle Paul writes to them and says, look, doesn't, I don't care a jot what you think. But let me read it in context because he's, he says it even better than that. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Here it is. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. 
wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. That is an amazing little passage of Scripture. How many times in the last 45 years have I turned to that? You see, if you're in a leadership position and you make decisions, lots of people will not understand why you've made the decision you made. And probably you, if you tried to explain why you made the decision you made, you would be pointing a finger of accusation at another person. And you just have to keep quiet and say, well, that's the decision. And I believe I've taken it before God. So we, the Apostle Paul is saying, I care very little if I'm judged by you. Now, was he a callous, unfeeling person, the Apostle Paul? No, he certainly wasn't. He was quite sensitive, actually. Other passages, when he's criticized, he says, if you think you've got good credentials, listen to mine. And he lists them. So it wasn't that he was a callous, careless person. It was, he said, when I think about it, I shouldn't care very much what you think. And then he says, I don't even judge myself. I've got a clear conscience, but does it mean that just because I've got a clear conscience, I'm innocent? It's not what you think, he says, is important. It's not what I think about me. It's the only opinion that matters is what the Lord says. Because he, he will bring to light things hidden in darkness and he will expose the motives of a person's heart. That's the only person that can judge, you know. A person that knows the whole facts and a person that sees people's motives. You don't, I don't, so we can't judge each other. Not accurately, we can't. There's only one who can. And he will bring to light things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of a man's heart on that day. So what destroys harmony? Retaliation. Repaying evil for evil. Insult for insult. Instead, we are called to bless. We are called to bless and to be a blessing. So how would you bless those who persecute you? Well, Jesus helps us there. Pray for those who persecute you. Start there. Start by praying for them, not against them. Tempting to pray against, I know. When someone's your enemy and gives you a really tough time, my first two years after leaving school, I worked in a bank in Bentham that's now closed, sadly. Um, and the under-manager there was a very difficult character. Uh, there were times when the girls in the office would be in floods of tears because he was just awkward to work with. And frankly, it wasn't very easy for me either. I avoided the tears, but I certainly wasn't very happy. And, you know, when someone is against you and you feel they've got it in for you, it's really hard to not retaliate or not to hold a grudge. And it's really easy to pray against them. You know, God, will you please just remove him? Will you shut him up? Will you take him to somewhere better? But actually, Jesus says, pray for those who persecute. Now we pray for their change of heart. We pray for them becoming a transformed person. But we don't pray against them. Because we know that bitterness that they hold is actually eating them up. It's not helping them at all. So we pray for them. Which brings me to verse 10 and 11. 
get back to my passage. 1 Peter 3, 10 and 11. Whoever would love life and good see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Have you noticed in your Bible that those words are sort of like poetry? Uh, they're not prose like the previous words. What, what's happening here? Well, those verses, verses uh, 8 to 12, are actually taken straight out of Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16. So actually, Peter is doing what preachers quite often do, choosing a little bit of somebody else's information and putting it in their sermon. Who wrote Psalm 34 and when? David wrote Psalm 34. When? When he was fleeing from King Saul and he was a fugitive. So the third question then is, if we looked at what builds harmony, verse 8, and what destroys harmony, verse 9, let's look now at who demonstrates harmony, and that's David. I'm sure you know the story. David, the shepherd boy who slew Goliath and was anointed by Samuel to be the king who replaced Saul. Saul who, Saul who was so jealous of David that he tried to skewer him to the wall with a javelin. Saul who was so bitter and twisted against David. And there came a day when David was fleeing as a fugitive and he was hiding with his men in the back of a cave, that Saul came into that cave to relieve himself. And squatting down, David crawled up to him quietly and cut off the edge of his, his robe, robe. And Saul went, not knowing there'd been anyone there. And then when Saul was hundreds of yards away, David came out and said, look, look what I've got. In other words, I could have killed you, but I didn't. But even then, David felt guilty because he had done what? He'd stretched out his hand against the Lord's anointed. How I wish more congregations understood that principle. That David, although the Lord's anointed soul was bitter and twisted, and although he was actually an enemy of David, David realized that he wasn't the judge of Saul, but God was. He is the Lord's anointed, not mine. For 17 years, I mentioned earlier, I served as a national overseer for a network of churches here in the UK and across in Ireland. And there were times in those churches where some congregations really were not very happy with their ministers. And there are times when some of those congregations would just have loved to have the possibility of having a vote to get rid of their ministers. Thankfully, we in the Free Methodist Church do not operate that system. Our ministers are ordained and appointed, and they, they are not voted into office by the congregation because... We are called by God. We're, we're accountable to those who ordain us. We're accountable to those who appoint us. And there is accountability takes place every year. But ultimately, we're accountable to the one who called us. And we will give an account to him. And we will be judged, note this, with greater strictness. 
That's what we're told in James. That they who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So congregation, please don't judge your pastors. Please don't be critical. Encourage them. They do get reviewed. And they will get judged. But not by us. So who, who demonstrates harmony? David. In his ability to live through this terrible time of persecution and yet come out of it respecting authority. If we don't respect the authority of others, we can't expect others to respect our authority. Which brings me to the final. I've got four four this morning. Which brings me to the final verse. Verse 12. Who rewards harmony? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous... And his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There it is. We have one who is our judge. His eyes are on the righteous. God watches over us. He sees, he knows, he understands. His ears are attentive to the prayer of those who seek to live right. Do we want to sense God's presence? Do we want to be sure God's listening to our prayers? Then let's seek to live right. Let's seek to live in harmony. Let's seek to develop those attitudes that build harmony. Let's seek to avoid those attitudes that destroy harmony. Let's seek to follow the example of David and demonstrate harmony. But let's ultimately seek the reward that God gives for those who live in harmony one with another. I referred earlier to Psalm 133. I'm going to read it now. talks about people living in unity. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. What's all this about dew and oil? Aaron the priest was anointed with oil, and it was incredibly fragrant. It was a perfume. And David is saying, the psalmist is saying, Where there's unity, there's amazing fragrance, a fragrance of God's presence. What's this about Jew of Hermon on Mount Zion? Well, Hermon was way in the north, snow on the top. Mount Zion was Jerusalem, hot, sun-baked. So not only is there fragrance when people live in unity, but there's also freshness, refreshing, the Jew. But most of all, it's where God commands the blessing. So finally, Peter said, halfway through his letter, typical preacher, finally, every one of you, live in harmony with one another. How do you live in harmony? By focusing on the things that we share together. Let me quote finally from F.B. Meyer. All of us are loved by the same love, 
All of us are bought by the same blood. All of us are born of the same spirit. All of us are members of the same body, animated by the same life, subject to the same afflictions, and destined for the same eternal home. That's why we can live in harmony, one with another. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we understand that when you created an amazing world and creation and universe, there was for a brief spell of time incredible harmony. That then human beings turned to our own way and brought disharmony. Help us to turn back to you and find harmony with you and then with each other. For we only find harmony with you as we acknowledge our failures and our sins, receive your forgiveness, and then be those who are told to forgive one another as you've forgiven us. We thank you so much for the blessings we've experienced here at CFM with the harmony that has been experienced and the blessing that you've poured out. But help us to be vigilant and not allow any divisive spirit to break the harmony so that you can continue to bless, command a blessing in this place. Amen.